0: Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Sam Silvius. I've been on staff for four and a half years. Uh, My title here is the Family Discipleship Pastor. uh, And what that means is that I get to oversee uh, really our discipleship efforts for adults, uh, for men's and women's ministries, for our life groups. uh, And and then um, I get to oversee what we do for kids ministry and student ministry. So our children's pastor, our student pastor, kind of we work together to make sure that we are discipling kids and students and adults uh, to pursue God and to live with God. Uh, The other thing that it means is that when pastor Darren, our senior pastor goes on study break, um, I get to do his job. Um, which I love doing. It's not a burden at all, actually. Um, it's one of my favorite things to do is to get to come uh, and step into his enormous shoes uh, and preach. And so we're going to do that uh, for the next four weeks. We're starting a brand new series uh, called Road Trip. Uh, and, and really the idea behind this is we want you to discover the adventure that God has for you. We really believe that, that the life with God is the best possible life, not the easiest possible life, definitely not the easiest possible life, but the best possible life, the most joy, the most adventure, the most hope, the most peace, uh, the most incredible things happen when we're living the life that God has designed for us. And so we want to step into that adventure uh, and really equip you and teach you and show you how to step into that adventure over the next four weeks. And so I hope that you'll join us uh, for each of those. It's going to be an exciting journey uh, as we look really at at how do we do this? How has God designed this? How do we step into these things? And so um, this morning, we're going to start with part one which I think is a critical thing. If you've ever gone on a road trip or or a trip of any kind, uh, you know that one of the most important things uh, to do, the most important things, most important tools, most important uh, skill sets is being able to read the map. If you can't read the map, it's very unlikely that you're going to get Where you're going. Now, a lot of us have cars now that read the map for us, right? In our GPS system. We just put in the destination and it takes us where we want to go. A few years ago, I got to experience what life is like without GPS. Um, we were, um, we were, yeah, I don't look that old, I know, it's okay. Um, so we were, um, we were actually going hiking, we weren't on a road trip, we were going on a hiking trip, and we had studied the map beforehand, and we had a plan put together, my friend Ray and I, uh, and we were, uh, gonna do this loop, you know, it should have been just a few, uh, miles, I think it was gonna be around six miles or so, maybe seven, um, really we figured it should take us just a few hours, um, and, and really, and we kind of had a plan put together, and so we knew, take this trail, when it intersects with this trail, uh, go this way, and then to this trail and then come back uh, with Landis right back in the parking lot. It was going to be a beautiful hike. We were super excited to go on it, um, and we had a great plan. We, we were stocked up with water and snacks and, and lunch and all that, and, and we, you know, um, we were just, just stoked to do this hike. And I was really excited because um, I'm from Kansas, and so we had been here at the time. My wife and I had lived here about a year, um, and so in Kansas, we call hiking walking. Um, If you didn't know that because we're not really hiking up and it's just walking across fields, right And so i'm super excited because now we're in these mountains and We have all these gorgeous forests and trees and and so we get on this trail and everything i've read says this trail is just Gorgeous and it did not disappoint Um, we we, I'm not even gonna tell you what it is because you'll all go there and I won't be able to go there anymore Um, but we were on this trail and uh, we we hike up and it's just beautiful and crosses Uh the stream and just goes back up in this canyon and we find ourselves up in this um, aspen grove, and, and the hill is kind of going up to the right, and it's just covered in grass and these beautiful aspen trees, and it was the time of the year when they're just starting to turn, you know, golden yellow, um, and, and, and just beautiful, beautiful, right? Uh, and, and I thought it couldn't get any better, and as we're standing there kind of taking a water break, all of a sudden, uh, this little bear just comes down around the corner, and like he was far enough away that I wasn't scared, but close enough that I could really see what it was and tell, right? Like in Kansas, if you see a bear, it's no big deal because it's like two miles away. Right? because it's just flat. You can see him coming. Um, but, but it was like right there, and we were super excited, and what a great adventure this was. And, and we went on with our hike, and um, it, it was turning out to be a great day. It was taking a little longer than we thought it was supposed to, but really, it was a, it was a gorgeous Colorado day. Um, and so we're hiking, and we come around uh, this corner into this um, opening. This is beautiful field uh, of grass, and it's surrounded by trees on all sides. At the very edge of this field there's a little cabin, uh, kind of a uh, rundown. Like, I have no idea how old it could have been there for a hundred years maybe uh, but it's run down the roof has been uh, torn off and it's starting to fall apart and we began to wonder you know what was this cabin for who who lived here did somebody actually live here like year-round or or was this just a hunting cabin like what was this used for and that would have been probably the highlight of our hike um, coming across that cabin except for one thing that was not the first time we saw that cabin that day So we realized very quickly that we were not where we thought we were, that we were not going the direction that we thought we were, and somehow we were lost in the woods. Now, at the time, I was active duty Air Force, and so was my buddy Ray. Uh, Ray had been a mechanic um, on airplanes, and I had been uh, something called security forces, which is law enforcement and base security. Well, one of the things that I was trained in was how to read a map and compass, and the Air Force did not disappoint this day. Um, I was able to pull out the map and compass, figure out where we were, uh, plot a course, and figure out how to get us back on track, and we successfully navigated our way back to the parking lot. Um, having only lost a few hours and a few extra calories from the hike. Um, However, this could have been disastrous. It it could have been a nightmare uh, for us had we stayed lost in the mountains. Had we not checked the map, had we just said, hey, we'll figure it out. Had we just not brought the map even or not known how to use the map, we would have been in real, real trouble and this happens to so many of us in so many different areas of our lives doesn't it we forget to check the map we forget how to read the map we forget how to orient the map in different areas maybe it's in the area of relationships right um you you have kind of a plan you have this this is what i'm looking for in a mate and a spouse and then that guy walks in and man he is cute i mean some of you ladies are thinking that right and all of a sudden, the map just goes out the window. We're just, we're just going now. We're just following our hearts. You know, we're, we're going wherever it takes us, right? Where the map is out the window, right? And, and so that happens in our relationships. It happens in our finances, right? I have a plan. I have a budget put together. And then for me, like, I have this great budget. And then all of a sudden, Apple creates something new that's really cool, and I really want it. And I'm like, I can figure out how to afford that. Like, I know it's not in the plan, but I can, I can figure that out, right? And, and so we get off the map. We, we lose track of those things. And Happens in all kinds of areas in our careers, right? Well, this job looks really good, or I really just, you know, I really just am tired of this job, and I don't know what's next for me. But I'm, I'm done with this, and I'm just going to step out of it. And that's not the plan, and that wasn't the necessarily the best decision. Maybe it was, or maybe you're going, hey, I can't step out of this job, even though I'm not satisfied here, even though this doesn't work for me. I can't step out of this because it's the only thing I have. It's the only security I have. And, And so, in all of these areas, we have to figure out how do we read the. How do we stay on the map? How do we follow the right path to to navigate through life? And this morning, I'm going to look at just a passage in scripture where we find a character who figured out how to orient the map in her situation. A situation was presented to her, and she had the opportunity uh, to do what she thought was right or to do what she knew was right based on reading the map correctly. And so I want to look at that this morning. If you have a Bible... You can Turn to uh, the book of Esther. We're going to be in chapter 4. Now some of you are getting excited because you've been doing the church reading plan with us and you know uh, that this week we read part of this story. We read Esther uh, chapter 4 and a few other chapters this week along with the reading plan. Uh, If that's something you want to get involved in doing with us as a church, we're just reading through scripture together. Uh, You can pick up that plan at the connections counter after this service. There's also a way you can sign up to get that emailed to you every morning or texted to you uh, every morning and so it'll just come to your inbox, you'll have it right there to be able to read along with us. Uh, but for those of us who, who didn't read, who haven't been following along that plan, uh, I wanna get us caught up uh, to what's happening here. Uh, so we need to know the history. Uh, and there's a, there's a story that's going on here uh, with God's people, the Israelites, also known as the Jews, um, where they have this pattern of let's obey God, let's worship God, let's follow God uh, when things are bad so that God will protect us, so that God will save us, so that God will do amazing things for us. And then when things are really good, they kind of forget it, God, and they kind of do their own thing. And so oftentimes, God would allow bad things to happen to them to remind them to turn back towards God. And so this story takes place after many many cycles of that have gone on and finally God has allowed some people to come in uh, to the land where the Israelites live, take them captive, take over the land and actually bring them into exile into a new place. So they've been taken out of the promised land, out of uh, the land that God promised to give them in Jerusalem and moved into a new land um, as exiles. And so they're living amongst the people. It's been several years. They're not in they're not in uh, you know seven or in captivity and chains, uh, but they are living in this place, and many of them have taken positions uh, in the kingdom, many of them are working jobs in the city, um, and they're living in this place, uh, but they're still not really fitting in. They don't really fit uh, with the culture, and that's that's where our story takes place, and we find uh, a few characters, a few main characters in this book of Esther. Uh, First, we find the character Mordecai. Mordecai is a Jew. Uh, He's a very faithful Jew. He's a very righteous and upright man, a man of good character. Uh, And we know this because Mordecai's uncle and aunt passed away at some point, uh, and he took their daughter in as his own and raised her uh, as his own daughter. Uh, And that's who Esther is. Esther is uh, Mordecai's cousin, um, and she's been raised by her cousin uh, in this area. And we know about Esther that she is incredibly uh, beautiful. That's what the text tells us. She's just a beautiful, beautiful woman, Um, and and that um, uh, the Lord's favor kind of goes with her. Or wherever she goes, as we follow the story, we're also introduced to a man named Haman. Uh, and Haman is the king's right hand man. He's like the number one guy in the king's court. And Haman hates Mordecai. And, and if you want to know why, if you kind of want to understand the story a little bit better, I'd encourage you to go back this week and just read through uh, the entire book of Esther. It's a great story. We don't have time to unpack all the subplots uh, this morning, but just understand Haman hates Mordecai, hates his whole family, hates all the Jews, wants to see them wiped out completely. Well, something happens in the kingdom, and uh, the queen uh, is let go. Um, not very kindly, but the queen is let go. Um, and so they're looking for a new queen, and lo and behold, Esther uh, is moved into a position and becomes that queen. Uh, And so Mordecai uh, is thrilled, right? And he's sending messages back and forth to Esther about what to do. Uh, But Haman plots to destroy the Jews. And he convinces the king to pass an edict that on this day, uh, in just a few weeks time, that all of the Jews in the entire province, in every town, everywhere in this country, everywhere where the king has authority, every Jew is going to be slaughtered. And Mordecai, of course, is devastated. What is happening here? Uh, And so he sends word uh, back and forth to Esther uh, about what they're going to do. And he wants Esther to use her position as the queen to go to the king and stop this. But Esther knows that if she approaches the king without being asked, the penalty that she could face is death. It was written in the king's law that if you went into the king's court uh, without being invited, that the king could just have you put to death for, for no reason other than you showed up uninvited. And Esther knows this. And so this is kind of where we're jumping into the story. What are they going to do about this problem? And so uh, Mordecai sends final word to Esther, and he says this, picking up in chapter 4, verse 13. Mordecai uh, replies to Esther through these messengers, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace... You will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this? I want to leave that text up there so you guys can kind of look back at it as we kind of unpack this. What Mordecai says to Esther, don't you think? That just because you're in the palace, you're going to escape all this. Don't you think that just because God has provided this thing for you, that you're going to to not be affected by this? Don't think, in other words, that this privilege that you have, that this reward, this blessing that you have is for you. Do you really think, Esther, that God has removed you, that God has put you in the palace just for you, just so that you can escape this calamity? Don't think that that's true. In fact, you won't escape it just because you're in the palace. Palace. But here's what will happen. If you don't act, God will send deliverance from somewhere else. God is going to deliver his people. And Mordecai knew this because God had consistently over and over again through all of their known history, God had delivered the Jews from their captors, from the people who tried to wipe them out, from the people who tried to keep them captive. He delivered them over and over and over again. And so Mordecai realizes That if Esther doesn't act, somebody else is going to. God will raise somebody else up to accomplish his purposes, to do his thing. And So the question for Esther is not, do I let the Jews perish or do I step in and risk my life to save them? The question is, God is going to do this? Am I going to be a part of it or not? And Mordecai says, perhaps, just Maybe. You have been positioned. You've been given this blessing. You've been given this place for such a time as this. See, Mordecai and Esther knew something that we sometimes forget. The story isn't actually about Mordecai or Esther. It's not about Haman. It's not about the king. It's not about any of those things. The story is about God. The story is about what God is doing. See, the story, we, we tend to look at our lives this way, don't we? We tend to look at it just our, our individual lives and think, man, this is my story. How do I want it to end? How do I want it to play out? And what we forget is that there's actually one story that has been told since the beginning of time. There's one story that God has been telling since he created the world all the way back in the beginning. One story that God has been telling. Telling And Esther and Haman knew this. And let me, let me unpack it for you. Let me just give you some examples as we unpack that story, as we realize what that story was. See, Esther and Haman knew the Old Testament. They knew the history of the Jewish people. They knew uh, the Old Testament scrolls. They knew all these things. And what they knew is that God had created the world and created mankind in his own image to bear his image, to be reflections of God's glory in the universe, But mankind fell, they were tempted and fell into sin and that image got tainted and so the relationship between man and god was broken and the rest of jewish history up to that point is god pursuing his people trying to bring them back into relationship and so god does this by saying to abraham hey abraham would you follow me do you trust me i'm going to send you out into a place and make a people group of my own you are going to be the father of this people group and i'm going to create a new group of people that's going to be my people i will be their god and they will be my people i'll walk with them I will protect them I'll take care of them it's going to be amazing and Abraham says yes I'm going to go do that and we find that people group start to develop and Abraham uh, has children uh, and then his children have children and pretty soon we've got all of these people and and through a course of circumstances you can read this all in the book of Genesis um, and and through through all these circumstances we find uh, that God's people the children of Abraham have wound up in Egypt And they're enslaved, they're captives in Egypt under the Pharaoh. And so God raises up a man named Moses. You may have heard of Moses. God raises up Moses to say, uh, these are God's people, you have to let them go. You have to, to let them go into the promised land. God is calling them away from here and, and God does work and move through Moses to set his people free and lead them into the promised land. And we get into the promised land and God goes before the people. We read this throughout the Old Testament that God goes before the people to give them this place to live uh, and, and protects them. He fights the battles for them. We find amazing victories, victories that never should have happened all throughout the Old Testament because God was with with his people, protecting them. And and if we back up just a little bit with Moses, uh, God gives Moses the 10 Commandments which is a way for the people to relate to God, to know God's heart, to understand who he is, to be in relationship with God. God gives them instructions on how they can become purified, these rituals, these sacrificial things that they can do to be in relationship with God, to fix what's broken in their sin and be in relationship with God. And and so this thing continues all throughout time and the people ask for a king. And so God gives them a king and the king's job is supposed to be uh, like the priest was before, to lead the people to trust God, to lead the people with where God wants them to go, to take care of the people, but the kings are terrible. And so God removes them and allows the people to go into exile. And that's where we pick up this story with Esther and Haman, where they're in exile. And what they know is that God has been moving and working for his people for all of eternity up to this point. He's not going to stop now. And so they understand that the story isn't actually about Esther The story is about what God is doing for his people and has been doing for this entire time. And so because of that, Esther can say, I will step into this story because it's not about me, and if I perish, I will perish. I'm going to risk giving up this earthly palace by going before the king. I'm going to risk giving up my life because it's the right thing to do. It's the story that God is telling I want to step into the story. I don't want the story to be about me. I want the story to be about God. I'm going to step into that story, and what we know on this side of history is that not only was their story about what God was doing. Not only was every story up to that point about what God was doing, but those stories were actually about the only one whose story really matters, and that's Jesus Christ. Let me explain. If we go back to Adam, what we find in Adam is that Adam and Eve are tested in the garden. God says, don't eat this fruit. They eat the fruit. They fail the test. Fast forward uh, several years, thousands of years to Jesus Christ, and we find Jesus in the garden Garden of Gethsemane, tempted, tested by God to say, God, I don't want this, I don't want to go to the cross. He's bleeding blood, like he's he's crying blood. He's so uh, overwhelmed by this. He's so impassioned that he's literally sweating drops of blood. And he says in the garden, God, if there's any other way, would you take this cup from me, but not my will be done, but yours. And what we find is over here, Adam and Eve are tested in the garden and they fail the test. Fast forward to Jesus. Jesus is tested in the garden, but he doesn't fail the test. He passes the test. Adam and Eve foreshadow Jesus who was to come. Abraham is called to leave the familiar, to leave his father's home and go into a place not knowing where he was going to go so that God could establish a new people for himself. Jesus Christ left heaven, all the comfort of heaven. Uh, the scripture tells us that Jesus was with God in the beginning, that he dwelt in heaven from the time uh, of creation, that he's always been with God and yet he was willing to leave the familiar and come into the world not knowing exactly what he was walking into, going into this place, coming in the form of of... of a baby and he went there. Why? To create a new people group. And so Abraham points to Jesus. Moses sets the people free by his actions. And Moses intercedes on behalf of the people and introduces a new covenant so that people can know God, can understand God. What does Jesus do for us on the cross? He intercedes on our behalf and he introduces us to a new covenant, a covenant signed with his own blood so that we can know God, so that we can have a relationship with God. We fast forward to King David, arguably the greatest king to ever live in Israel's history, and what we find is that King David slays Goliath before he's even the king, before he's even made king. He takes this victory, and his victory becomes the victory of the people, even though they did nothing themselves to accomplish it. Jesus Christ goes to the cross, accomplish victory on our behalf, even though we never did anything, could not do anything to deserve it. That victory is passed on to us. The entire scripture is about Jesus the story. The story is not about you. The story is not about Esther. The story is not about David. It's not about Adam. It's not about Abraham. It's not about Moses. The story is not about us. The story is about Jesus. And we come to Esther, who risks her earthly palace, who risks her life. To save her people. And we look to Jesus. Who didn't just risk his palace. But gave it up. Who didn't just risk his life. But willingly laid it down. Saying when I decide. I will lay my life down for them. And gave his life to save his people. The story is not about you. The story is not about me. The story, the one story is about Jesus. And see, Esther and Mordecai got this. They understood that the story is about God and what God is doing and the story that God was telling. And so when the moment came to say, how do we orient the map? How do we interpret this? How do we move forward? How do we go from here? They said, the story is about God. And so we're stepping into that story. If the story is about Jesus, we want to be a part of it. If the story's about God, we want to step into that story. I don't want the story to be about me. I want the story to be about Jesus and what he is doing. Paul said it this way in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. He said he, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. And for him, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The story is about Jesus. And by his blood, by his work on the cross, he's begun to restore all things, to bring unity to all things. And that means that if we step into his story, if we surrender our lives to him, if we accept the free gift of grace that Christ offers us, we don't have to live our story anymore. We get to step into the greatest story ever told the story that is the story of Jesus. See, we were made to reflect the image of God. We were made to show the story of Jesus. We were designed to do it But sin has gotten in the way, and our pride and our selfishness has gotten in the way, and it's caused us to think differently. It's caused us to think about what I want and not what God wants. It's caused me to think about how I can move forward, not how God wants to move forward. It's caused me to think about what's best for me, not what's best for God and his kingdom, right? All of this happens, but when I step out of that, when I surrender to Jesus, I get to step into the greatest story ever told. Don't we love great stories? Don't you love a great story? Think about your favorite story right now. Just whatever it is, it might be it might be anything, right? It could be it could be a Lord of the Rings epic, whatever your favorite story is. Now, now, likely some of you um, have some guilty pleasure stories, and you went to you know Tommy Boy or something like that right away. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the epic adventure where your heart goes yes when you watch it. Right? I almost guarantee you that in that story, there's adventure. In that story, there's sacrifice. In that story, there's a love that's willing to lay itself down for someone else. In that story, there's redemption and salvation. Do you know why all of our favorite stories have those elements? Because your story has those elements. They are reflections of your life and reflections of the story that God has been telling since the beginning of time. And our job Our purpose is not to find our place, not to make a name for ourselves, not to to make a story that's great about us, but a story that reflects Jesus. If the story is really about Jesus, you have to decide. If you're in agreement that the story is really about Jesus, then your decision this morning is this, who is my story going to be about? Because you get to choose. Choose you get to decide. Is my story about me? Is my story about Jesus? In these areas of my life, is my story about me? Is my story about Jesus? Jesus wants to tell a story. He wants to call you into it. Guys, guys I, and I, just, I can't make this clear enough. See, when I live my story, it's kind of ugly. Right? Like, like, just think back on your story. Are you proud of every moment of it? Are you excited? I mean, would you be willing to come up here and share every moment of your story up to this point with this audience? I mean, I've shared some stuff on this stage, and there's a lot of things I'm not telling y'all. Because when the story's about me, the story is Ugly. When the story's about me, the story is about my pride, the story's about my anger, the story is about my addictions, the story is about how broken I am, the story is about how terrible Sam is. When the story's about me, that's what the story becomes about. What a terrible person Sam is. That's what the story is about when it's about me. And all the things I don't want you to see, which means I try to make the story, I try to redirect, right? say, so, well, look at this thing that I did that's great. Look how awesome I am in this area. Let me point your attention over here. Let me work at being good enough that you can see past all of this garbage. But the reality is I can never do enough to do that. And if the story is about me, the story is full of sin and greed and pride and ugliness. But here's the thing. If I surrender and I say, hey, you know what? The story's actually not about me. The story's about Jesus. I can stand here and tell you that I was the worst husband in this room. I can stand here. And tell you that I was the worst parent in this room. I can stand here and tell you that I was selfish, that I was greedy, that I was prideful, that I was a horrible, terrible, awful human being. But praise be to Jesus. He didn't leave me there, He didn't let the story be about me. He took it all on Himself. Every piece of guilt, every piece of shame, every sin went to the cross. And the story now is, yeah, I was messed up. I was jacked up. I was awful. But look how amazing my God is. Look how loving my God is. Look how much grace he has for me. Isn't our Jesus amazing? And so we orient our lives around the story of Jesus. I wanna challenge you. This week, when blank happens, I left it blank for a reason. I don't know what your blank is. I don't know the thing that constantly calls to you. No, 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 it's about you. I don't know if it's your finances. I don't know if it's your relationships. I don't know if it's your addictions. For some of you, it's a computer screen that says, no, it's about me. I deserve this. For some of you, it's a bottle. This says, no, no, I need this. For some of you, it's finances. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you're making poor decisions. You're making amazing decisions and you're storing up wealth and going, hey, man, look how much wealth I have, but I'm not happy. Yeah. For some, I don't know what your this is. I don't know what your blank is, but here's what I know. Every single one of us has an area that, that calls to us that says, no, 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 this is about you. This is, this is a thing for you. This is a thing you can hold on to because it's about you. What is the area that God is calling you this week to say, No, this week when this happens, I'm stepping into God's story. This week when this temptation comes, I'm stepping into God's story. This week when this opportunity presents itself, I'm stepping into God's story. Because it's not about me, it's about Jesus. So what is it for you? I had a moment this weekend... As uh, many of you know, my wife and I are, are building a new house, and we're really excited to, to move out of our uh, small 1,100 square feet with our four children and into uh, almost three times the house. God has just blessed us at every turn and, and made it possible. Like, this, this is not something I could have made happen on my own. It's clearly God moving and working. And as I was praying through all of this, I realized in that moment, this house is <laughs> not for us. For what God wants to do. It's so that we can have people over and get to know them, get to know their stories, so we can engage in relationship with them. This house isn't just for our kids. It's so that we can have families invited in, so that we can share with them how great God is, and so that we can declare His glory to them, so that we can love on them, so there's a place for their kids to come and play while they hang out in an air-conditioned house when it's 100 degrees outside. This, it's, the house is not about us, it's about God. What's your house? What's the thing you're holding on to?